0: Hi, everyone. Back with another episode of Mob, a better business. Today, I'm here with John Pasmore, who's a longtime technologist, started up numerous companies. I've worked with John on previous projects, someone I look to as a senior in the space and who has really kind of helped shape the path that I look at technology. So I'd love to introduce John. And John, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself before we kind of dive into it? Absolutely.
1: Let's see where I got started. You know, I have a media background that that became media and technology. I was Mm -hmm. partnered with Russell Simmons in a traditional media company called Small Name. Yeah, that was a very interesting period. We were partners for about 10 years in something called One World and kind of made the transition. You know, know, during Vibes Heyday and Sources Heyday, so we had kind of an alternative hip-hop and culture magazine, you know, very multiracial view. Of the culture at that point that's that's essentially where i got started to make a long story short prior to that you know I'd, i'm a new york person but i'd been down in, in houston texas but came back to new york with a business plan that i thought would be great for mr simmons and managed to convince him of the same thing over the course of time
0: i didn't even know that, that piece about you that uh, kind of the start of your origin story but how did you even reach out to someone like russ simmons because obviously. I don't know exactly the years, but I'm sure he's already a megastar at this point. He's so well-established in his industry. How did you go about kind of getting in touch with someone that was probably at that time kind of levels ahead in their, you know, their career and all that stuff? I always thought as an entrepreneur
1: that there's always a way to contact virtually anyone. And I I pretty much still believe that. With, yeah. creativity. with Russell in particular, I had a magazine in Houston, Texas, and he was on the mailing list. So he I know, you know, whether he looked at them or not, most people actually look at their mail, especially a magazine's got pretty people in it. And so when I had a a specific offer, one of my tricks actually is to FedEx something to somebody, because I think everybody, even an assistant, doesn't know if if they could just throw it away. Uh, So they always run the FedEx by the actual person to say, is this interesting? Do we need this? So I knew that he had seen what I'd sent because... I FedEx, you know, a couple of things to him. And, you know, at that point, you know, Russell was still kind of out and about a lot. And I don't know if it was Providence or Luck or whatever, but we ended up at a couple of the same events. And then I could just introduce myself. Hey, I'm the crazy guy from Texas that's been FedExing you stuff. And, you know, I think, especially in the urban community, people kind of respect a little bit of a hustle.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: They'll give you a shot at a pitch. And, you know, again, my initial pitch to him was, Hey, this isn't going to cost you any money. You know, we're just yeah. do a really sexy thing. And it fits. you know, you have a, you have a, a record label, you had a management company, you have a clothing line, everything, any, I think he had a modeling agency or was thinking about one, everything he did kind of would benefit from a magazine. So I knew it made superficial sense at least.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That's a good, I, that trick that you just said of the FedEx thing. I think most people wouldn't even consider sending a FedEx, but it's like cost you a few bucks, but it yeah. completely separates you from everybody else. Awesome. And so, you know, that's kind of how, I guess you started in a bit of media technology. If you had to kind of summarize the differences between when you started as a black entrepreneur, is this nineties, are we talking kind of yeah, late nineties yeah, late 90s to 2020, you know, this era, maybe before the pandemic, how would you say the differences for a black entrepreneur or someone who's trying to um, create a company?
1: You know, unfortunately, I would say that Black entrepreneurs are facing a lot of the same hurdles. Uh, there are there are more, I don't know, we're more connected as a group of entrepreneurs than we would have been then. So, but, you know, that just means we're sharing our story and we all are facing the same hurdles, which is, you know, the access to capital. If you want to do something big and fast, as opposed to bootstrapping something, okay. you still have to go out and find partners. And one would have thought that the playing field would have leveled more by now, but it it's still uh, a pretty steep uphill climb, I think, for a young mm.
0: When did you realize, I guess, in your career, right? I think at least I made the mistake when I first started out, thinking like, if you have an idea, you have the skills to build it, you're ninety percent, you know, of the way there. It took me a while, personally, to kind of piece it together that, you know, you need a team, you need scale, you need marketing, you need acquisition channels, all these things that I probably which I'd known earlier, when did you piece it together that investors were going to be kind of critical for anything that you wanted to build and grow?
1: Well, yeah, I started my first magazine, essentially, in Houston, Texas. Before that, I'd worked with what was, before Chase was Chase, it was Chemical Bank. And when when it was Chemical Bank, they bought Texas Commerce Bank. And I moved down to Texas and hated banking and started a magazine and realized that, you know, your print bills are fairly significant. And that in the very best case, you have a cash flow issue from the time that you got to pay your printer to the time that your advertisers will pay you so might be able to finance those receivables but more than likely for anything of scale again you, you need a partner in a business like that so that was my first effort to really go out and raise funds and do a presentation and mm-hmm. you know you start doing them and you realize you end up with a lot of the same questions and you know the basic question of the order of investors investor is how do i get my money back so yeah yeah, that's a question you're going to have to answer
0: sooner or later, most likely. Yeah. A million times over, you have to kind of answer that question, right? So yeah. it's yeah. best to get good at that early. If you were kind of speaking to someone who is starting their career as a black technologist, we were just kind of talking about, you're still facing many of the same hurdles. What are the skills that you would tell them to focus on? Because right now we live in a time where there's a million things you're told that you should get good at. If you had to kind of highlight down to only a few things that they were focusing on, what would those be? Well, that's a a tricky question.
1: You know, I think everybody really is probably best served just Focusing on what they are best at—it's mm-hmm. hard to to be great at a lot of different things. I think generally you should get used to the idea of finding or building a great team. In magazines, that that comes naturally because you're going to need designers and writers and photographers, and you know, there's just no way that you can do it all. But maybe some, you know, in technology, you feel like, hey, I could build this thing in in my garage or or what have you, and then just release it, and it can be a big success. But you do need you do need marketing, um, which is a skill unto its own, especially digital marketing, which evolves—you know—really monthly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Apple has kind of proven to everybody the importance of of great design and how great design can make your life a lot easier and the, the life of your product a lot easier and your adoption. So, you know, I would say start thinking about your team. Think about what you're great at and, mm-hmm. and who would be a great part of your team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, to the point that you just said of like kind of focusing on what you're best at and almost ignoring some of your deficits, right? Rather than trying to be perfectly maybe well-rounded. I think that's a good approach because there's too many things that are expected as a founder to do. And if you're trying to be decent at you know everything, you're not going to be great at anything. So definitely agree with that piece. You mentioned a little bit about building a team, something that, you know, I've been very interested in, obviously doing consulting, I've been expanding into recruiting for certain companies, like helping them with building out teams. What do you look for as you're, you know, you're building out a startup? What do you look for? Let's say the first five people, what are you most interested in, in that skill set?
1: It's tough, but you kind of recognize, you know, people who are kind of stars or who are really good at what they do, uh, whether yeah. it's a, a salesperson who you're like, wow, that, you know, you know, I just watched this guy do a sales pitch and I, I could never do it that way. And I could see why that, you know, person's going to mm-hmm. be successful. So you can kind of see different aspects of somebody or a great designer. And then ideally if you're talking in the startup space kind of want to find folks that maybe have had some startup experience if somebody's used to hey I get a check every two weeks or every month and it's always there and my health insurance is good they might be a little surprised you know by the you know any kind of bumps that you have as a startup and you know one of the things you can pretty much be assured of is that your plan is not going to go according to plan as a startup, something else is gonna happen. And you know, having a
0: team that's willing to roll with that is gonna yeah. uh, make your life a lot easier. Mm. So looking at that same question from the opposite perspective, what do you avoid? What are the things, you said like, it's almost like great communication, being able to like, if you're a salesman, being able to communicate that, if you're a marketer, it kind of stands out in how they communicate, if they're a developer, how they're talking about what they work on. What are the things that when you see are red flags to you as, oh, this is not someone who, besides basically being like they don't have startup experience, what are the red flags to you? It's like, this person is not going to, they're not going to make it in this, you know, in the early stage.
1: Yeah. So early stage is for the founder, it's, it's really a 24 seven job. And I think, you know, that core team, you know, if you email somebody at nine o'clock, at night and you can't reach them until, you know, business hours the next day, I'd say that's, that's an issue because your business is going to be, you know, a lot of things happen at off hours for young companies. So, you know, and, you know, depends on the age. So some people have families and they really can't juggle their family and and business at odd hours. And, you know, you don't want to discriminate against somebody, but, you know, you kind of need, you know, if if you have an issue with your site at 10 p.m., you kind of need it fixed by 10, 15 or 11. And you know you don't want to hit your CTO and have him reach out to you the next day. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to
0: work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think a lot of people don't want to acknowledge kind of the, you know, this emphasis on work-life balance has kind of made it where that's not really the case for early stage startups. It's not really a real thing, at least not in the early stages of businesses that I've seen. So, Kind of switching to the perspective of, you know, we talked about how it's still difficult for, you know, black technologists to build out their kind of investors, kind of get the investments they need. But what do you think as a whole, the community can do better? I know that, you know, that's definitely more interconnected. At least I've seen it even in the past 10 years. And I think where we are in New York, it's probably, you know, I've lived in New York, I've lived in San Francisco, even though San Francisco is kind of like the mecca of tech Black technologists and black entrepreneurs are far more connected in New York than they are in San Francisco. So what do you think, though, that the community and and people who've kind of made it can do more for the community, if you had to say?
1: Yeah, I think the community has really developed pretty well you know i think that as young entrepreneurs you kind of need you know there's like like thinking grow rich like these classic things about the things that you need to do or the the way that you need to be in order to be successful basic stuff like thinking grow rich is like yeah if you could be in a you know and it's hard to pull off at all times but like even a stable personal life, because you're going to be 24-7 entrepreneurially, mm-hmm. if you have like this rocky thing happening in the background, it really actually impacts you and your ability on, um, you know, to kind of focus down and, and you know, you're competing, you know, you're, unless you invent something that's completely new you know, you're kind of competing with a lot of other folks like, you know, uh, today I'm in Boston, you know, you got Harvard and MIT. So no matter what you've done or what you're attempting to do, there's probably somebody really smart with a really good team that's trying to do something similar and you have to kind of compete with them. So just think about all the things that you need to be in order to compete with the best of the best. If you're trying to build a big scalable business. And if you're going out, you know, for VC funds, you know, that's all they really want to know is that, hey, can this be, you know, several hundred millions of dollars or can it be a billion dollar company? Because they have their own internal economics that they need to solve for. And so that's the lens they're looking at you, whether you're black or Asian or white, can these people, this team, compete against everybody? So if you you know, you create the next LinkedIn or the next Facebook or whatever it is, can you compete against that other existing thing and why the community is is solid i think if you can travel and generate connections you know i think you know we're in the new york area you know which has a pretty robust set of vcs but if you can get out to you know now austin and san francisco and spend some time networking there I think it's a good idea. You know, ultimately, you're going to you need customers for whatever you're going. Mm-hmm. So your customers may not be solely in New York either. Having connections in LA, San Francisco, Austin, and these other places. Even you know, when somebody looks at your LinkedIn and they can kind of see, oh, we have these 25 connections in common, and they're going to kind of look at and see, well, who are those people. And if it's a, you know, fairly impressive set of folks, it makes, you know, it makes
0: you look good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a funny thing how that, even to that little thing of the LinkedIn connections, subconsciously, I always think of like, okay, if I connect with someone and I see, you know, I, we know 20 of the same people, it's like, okay, we're in the same world people. And it kind of adds a trust layer to it. So that's definitely something to consider just to, I guess, kind of round it out. I know recently you got involved with tech stars, I'd love to hear kind of what inspired you to do so and and what your hopes are with that, because obviously they're very prestigious in the kind of startup space and for what they've uh, pulled off.
1: Yeah, a good friend of mine, Selena Brown, is a Techstars mentor and, you know, Selena mentioned that I might be interested in in doing the same thing. And, you know, while Techstars, especially here in Boston, has made strides in terms of the diversity of the entrepreneurs that they're taking on, you know, having done this for a couple of decades now, I kind of know some of the hurdles that, you know, a Black entrepreneur, let's say, is going to have. You know, getting in Techstars is is a great leg up. You're still going to have to walk into a meeting with, you know, potential funders that are, are not diverse you know ultimately your customers you know if you're trying to sell into anybody from home depot to target maybe there's kind of a diverse doorway but maybe not maybe you're you, you yeah. know maybe you're just elsewhere so you have to kind of be able to bridge that gap at some point and um you know regardless of what school you know I was talking to a kid coming out of out of mit you know one kid the first deck that he sent me you know was really a link because it was 250 megabytes and i could it's kind of a basic thing but you know no investor more than likely is going to download a 250 megabyte it's
0: yeah it's 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 almost like there's these little things i think some of the things that what i picked up on what you said is like there's these little things that almost exclude you right away and if you don't have the experience right if you don't know that having a lot of shared linkedin connections if you don't know that even sending a hyperlink instead of some downloading some crazy 250 megabyte thing these are all the exclusionary methods that kind of people who are either investors or higher up think about, but maybe when you're starting out, you don't even consider as like a, a factor. So definitely something.
1: It's pretty amazing. And some super basic stuff too, like the very first venture VC led venture that I was an executive at, became the CEO of was Voyage TV, where we went out and we raised 10 million bucks. Um, my partner in that was a you know white guy, Michael McNabb. And, you know, it took us a long time to. He actually lives in Taiwan, so he'd come in for meetings and we'd schedule several. But I would say over a year and a half or two year process, Michael is never late and never you know, we never rescheduled the meeting on our side, you know, and it was just like, okay, we're going to run this marathon. And in order to get to where you want to get to, you really have very, very little room for error. And, you know, working with Michael was interesting to me to see you know, how he executed, which was as close to perfection as you could possibly be. You know, ultimately, you know, it was successful. And even, you know, I'm working with TRS Capital, which is a family office now. And I would say Bob Sires, super duper successful business person operates on basically that same kind of yeah. process. Uh, he's never late. I think, you know, on the books right now, we have four calls a week. You know, we have a Monday, yeah. Wednesday, Friday call. We have, we have an executive call on Tuesdays. Never late. I was usually actually the you know he's probably the most busy person, but he's always the first person on the call. And yeah. I think that's probably one of the reasons why he is is so successful and you know super hard driving. But you know if you can't figure some of these things out, it's just emulate somebody who's successful.
0: Awesome, amazing so yeah thank you again john Uh, honestly there's so much here that people can kind of pick apart and kind of dive into i'm sure we could talk for much longer about these things some things i didn't even know about your story that it was great to hear today but i wanted to say thank you again for you know taking the time absolutely man anytime awesome